Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm Meredith Bell, your host, and it's my privilege to bring you special guests who will inspire and challenge you. My podcast is sponsored by Performance Support Systems, publisher of software tools and books for improving the way people communicate with each other at work. You can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. My guest today is David Wood, founder of CEO, excuse me, focus.ceo. David, welcome to my show. Thanks, Meredith. I've been looking forward to this. Well, I have too. And David, before I give you a formal introduction, I want to just let my um, audience know that I first heard you, it's just been a few months ago on Chris Doris's podcast, uh, Tough Talks, where you were back for the third time. And Chris had never brought a guest back three times. So I knew you were special because I love his podcast. So I listened to that, was so amazed at how many gold nuggets you threw out in a single interview. So I went back and listened to the first two and it was the same experience. And then I found other materials of yours online and just thought, oh, wow, I am really impressed with your own journey, which I'm looking forward to getting into today with you. And just the wisdom you've accumulated over the years that you share so openly. So thank you for being with me today. You're welcome. And I'm really enjoying your appreciation and your acknowledgement. Um, I don't remember when someone's reached out and had such an impact so quickly in being very specific about this was amazing. This was amazing. This was amazing. I've got to share you with everyone I know. So I've really been enjoying you and enjoying our new relationship. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, part of my purpose and mission is to share good things with the world. When I learn about someone that is so and I'll just say it, smart as you are, and not just intelligent smart, but articulate and heart smart. I just am, I know I am touched by it. And so I know others in my world will be too, because I know who's in my world. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into our conversation. I feel that I owe it to my audience, though, to share a little bit more about who you are before we dig into your journey and the questions that I have. David uh, is a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100s, and then he became a coach and a speaker. And that transition itself is an interesting story. He built the world's largest coaching business and became number one on Google search for life coaching. He was also voted into the Transformational Leadership Council founded by Jack Canfield, as you all know, of Chicken Soup for the Soul fame. And David now works with business owners to help them in three areas, doubling their revenue, achieving more in less time, and, and this is my favorite, David, being a more extraordinary human being in all aspects of their lives. And so I'm really eager to get into to those. But let's start out by having you talk about what caused you to decide to leave the actuary business and become a coach. Well, I wish I could say I woke up one morning and, you know, a bolt of lightning or Moses came down from the mountain and handed me a tablet. It wasn't like that. It was more gradual. I wasn't very happy in New York and um, I just ended a relationship and I thought I'd be happier in Australia. So I figured let's change countries. And um, while I was doing it, I thought, why not take some time off? Because whenever you switch jobs, I think you're obliged to take some time off to do what you'd want to do. And I thought, what would I do if I had six months to do anything in the world? And I'd always wanted to be a professional entertainer, like at the ski fields and in pubs and get everyone up singing along and play guitar and walk through the crowd. So I decided to do that. 
And that ended up taking a year and a half, not, not one year. And I realized as I was doing that, I, I met someone who was coaching and I'd done landmark educations forum and they trained me as a coach and I coached someone and changed their life overnight. And I thought I really would love to do that. And then when I found out it was a profession, this was at the beginning of 1998, like some people had business cards and they were charging to help people make their life better and their business better. I was like, wait a minute, let's see what we can do about that. So I'd already left the consulting job and I was an entertainer and I had a singer show up for an audition because I can't sing. So I figured I should get a good singer for the duo and she'll carry me basically. And um, she was having some issues in her, her life and work. And I said, how about you be my first practice client? So I started that. I went and hired a coach and um, ended up quitting the entertainment business because, well, at least the guitar and singing business, because I wasn't very good at it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I wasn't making money at it. And I went full time into coaching and the rest is history. You haven't looked back. Well, one of the things that um, I, I've really enjoyed listening, where I've listened to so many different things that you've talked about, one of the things that you share is how you hold space for people. And I would love to have you describe, because that's kind of a popular term these days, holding space for someone. But in your world of coaching, what does that look like? What does that mean you're doing with another person? I love that question. What is holding space for someone? It's a lack of doing in a way. So let's suppose you're going through something and you are freaking out. You are stressed. You're anxious. Um, I had a client recently who hired me to help double revenue, and then she was diagnosed with cancer. So I did a session with her and her partner. And largely, I was just there being with them and holding space and listening as she shared. And it you know, initially when I was a coach, I figured I had to jump in and fix things and I'm still very solution focused, but there's a time to not do that. There's a time to just be the container so that she could feel everything that she's feeling. And even though she may not be in a space of this is all okay, that's the space I'm holding because I know at some level, I don't always know it consciously, that everything's okay, nothing's wrong, and nothing really matters. So it's like I rest in that place. And then eventually she might find her way there to, oh, this is all okay. And if not, I can share the space that I'm holding, which is a space of this is, this is a new adventure. What, what's possible out of this? And we ended the session with, so what game are you going to play now? Given that you have this diagnosis and the length of your life is less certain than it was before, what do you want to do with that time? But that came after just holding space. And there was a coach um, by the name of Satyan Raja, who was one of the most amazing trainers and coaches I know. And he once said, I get the sense that David could hold space for someone going through absolutely anything. Another example is um, if someone's suicidal, there was a young man in California who had tried to take his life twice. And I reached out to a woman who told me about it. And I said, look, I'm not a therapist, but I'd be willing to talk to this young man if the parents want me to do it. And she went and set it up. The parents were like, yes, please. And I said to this kid, I bet everyone's freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. That's the opposite of holding space. Everyone's trying to change it and fix it. And they, they're, they're so scared. You're going you're gonna to try a third time and be successful. He's like, yeah. I said, well, I'm not sure I'd try and talk you out of it. Just so you know, I, I might want to make sure you're thinking logically and you've tried everything else. But if you get to the point and you decide this is too hard, I can get that. That's what I mean by holding space 
for him to be anything. I've got another friend who is suicidal here in Boulder and I went and spent time with her and I said, look, if you're thinking straight, you've tried everything and you, and you really want to go, you don't have to do it alone. I'll be with you. So to me, that's holding space. I, I said, I'll make sure you're thinking straight. Like if you're, if you're totally charged and you're, you, you, you know, your thinking's haywire and it's something you haven't really thought through and we haven't tried all the options, I'm going to probably want to slow you down. And she's like, okay, I understand that. But no one else in her life can hold space for what she's experiencing and her desires and her fears and whatever, because they've just got it that it's wrong. Mm. You cannot take your own life and I've got to keep you on the planet, no matter how much you're suffering. Yeah, that's, that's not holding space. That's your own stuff coming in to mm. get in the way. Yeah. Can you share what happened in both of those cases? Yeah. Um, well, with the young man, I, I didn't keep in touch with him, but we had a really great call and he seemed to be feel more grounded and accepted and seen and witnessed. And then with my, my friend, she seemed quite moved and um, she said, no one else has said that. And the idea that if she does take her own life, she doesn't have to do it alone seemed to really have some impact as well. So anyway, she's still with us. Um, oh, I love both of those, David, because what you're demonstrating in your presence in both of those situations is this, to me, here's how I'm reading it, just pure love, pure acceptance of this other person as a fellow human being without trying to impose any of your own judgment, sense of right or wrong. Uh, and, and I think they had to have felt that from you in order to, I guess, have relaxed into the space that you provided for them. I, that may be true. Um, I just thought about another friend who tried to take his own life uh, a couple of times, and I was fortunate enough to find out about it. One of my best friends since I was five years old. And... Um, he was, he's, I even said, you know, what hospital are you in? And he said, well, this is the hospital I'm in, but I'm not taking visitors. And I knew exactly what to say because someone did this for me one time. I said, well, you don't have to see me, but I'm coming. And I showed up at that hospital and he, he did tell the nurse he'd see me. And I think one of the reasons is he knows that I've been massively depressed I've had thoughts of taking my own life. Um, I never, never got to the point where I was going to do it that week. I was like, I think I could get through a year of this hell and then I'd probably go. But he knew that. So he was willing to let me come in. And I think I was able to just be with him because I, I had a sense of how hard and horrible it could be. That was holding space. I shifted from that, though. It's not like I'm always holding space. I shifted from that to being a stand for him. And so I said things like, you sh if there's anything that you've said to me that I think in by sharing it with someone else, I can help keep you around longer or support you, you should count on me to share that information. Don't expect that there's going to be confidentiality if that's involved. If I think it's going to help you, I'm going to share it with anyone I see fit. I want you to know that up front. And he was like, okay. <laughs> And then I went and called his, his father, who he wasn't talking to. I called his sister, who he hadn't talked to in six years. I called his cousin. I got the family together. And I went and got a camp, a caravan, and got it delivered to his property so I could be on the property but not in the house and be there. And um, he actually had an amazing recovery. There were a few times where he was very close. And he called me and he said, okay, I do need help. I've just taken a jog and I've been thinking for an hour about how I'm going to, I'm going to end it. I said, okay, great. You know, let's get on there. Now he's one of the happiest people I know. So I, I like to think that the space holding and the non freaking out was something that was able to help him. Mm -hmm. That 
calmness that you brought and strength, you know, just hearing you describe what you did with him and those other two folks, there's a strength that you bring that doesn't even have to be said out loud. They sense it, they feel it. And I know that that's true with your business clients also. Let's think about some of the issues that people in the business world experience, because some of them may feel really despondent at times, but many of them aren't thinking as extreme as suicide. So talk a little bit about what is it, what are some of the issues they face where you find it important to hold space for them and help them think through and work through problems? What a wonderful question. Um, so my brain goes to some business things and then my brain uh, also goes to life things mm-hmm. for business owners because life happens to business owners too. And I'm going to draw from my own experience recently. You know, as a business owner, I have challenges and it's hard to read the label from inside the jar. So mm-hmm. I can't, I can't really see things clearly. So I might be concerned about a promotion I'm doing and I'm not sure if I've got, I've got the language quite right, or I might, you know, have a cash flow concern. I'm like, I don't really know how to handle that. Or maybe it's financing for the new house and I need some creative ideas. So those are some places where uh, I might get coaching on how do I handle this? But the life stuff that's been coming up so strongly for me recently, and I'm fairly, you know, even though I've had 20 years of anxiety and depression, I'm fairly stable finances, relationships, community, health, housing, like all of that stuff's fairly stable. And still there are times when like I have to move home, I have to move house or there's a noise trigger and I got to deal, like how do I deal with that? Or I could have a fight with someone close to me and I'm, I'm feeling upset and I just, I'm not clear I'm not really clear on what it is I even want or I even need. I just know I'm upset. And how wonderful to be able to talk those out with a coach or a therapist. Friends are good. I use friends all the time for this, but friends aren't going to show up week after week and track what you're doing and ask questions and hold you accountable necessarily. And, you know, plus there's only so much they, they're going to listen to. So I, d- I definitely use friends, but I don't find it takes the place of a coach. So does that cover a few different areas where someone might be feeling challenged and they're like, Mm -hmm. I just got to get clarity on this and I got to work out what right action looks like. Well, and what, what you're saying made me think that a lot of times someone may come to you with what they see as a business challenge, but you can instantly tell there's more going on below the surface than what they're you know, saying to me at this moment. And so there are three areas, you know, that you help business owners in. And and I would think leaders too, they may or may not have responsibility for a particular budget, but most of them do. And then this whole thing of focusing and dealing with time and their priorities and getting more done and then just how how they can evolve to be these extraordinary beings that you know they are, but yes. you see the things that are preventing them. So just talk about your approach in helping people with those three areas. Um, which were the three areas? I, I, I got the idea of seeing the bigger picture of what's going on. I want to talk about that. But what were the three well, areas what, you mentioned? I remembered you talking about the revenue, increasing the oh, revenues, yeah. and, and then the focus and getting more done. And yeah. then the, just as a human being evolving. Yeah. So what I start with, with most of my clients is what's your, um, let's have you make more money because more money is better than less money. And most of my clients want to double revenue. So I'm like, okay, it's great. Let's strategize and work out your, your messaging. Do you have a flood of leads? How's your conversion? Um, when people come to your website, you want them buying your product. And then how's your leveraging of existing customers? So in terms of the money aspect, I look at those three buckets, leads, conversion, and leveraging existing customers. And not everyone needs all three of those things. 
Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's all three. Then, then another bucket that I look at is how's your productivity? Are you really clear on your goals at 12 months? Are you clear on your goals at three months? Are you clear on your goals for the next seven days? And do you know what you're going to start with when you wake up tomorrow and what you'll complete before you go and check messages? So, you know, that's, that's in, the, in the bucket of productivity. Then we need to look at how you work. When you sit down to work, are there distractions? Can you say, this is what I will do over the next two hours and boom, it gets done. Most people can't. And that's fine. That's, that's the way the, the mind works, but it's quite possible. And then the last piece in that productivity bucket is your mindset. Do you see challenges as challenges and opportunities or do you see them as problems and something to really be upset about? That's an example of mindset and who knows what's going to go in. I just spoke with a, I love how you talked about a client might say something and then I'm listening for the bigger picture mm-hmm. and seeing how it, I might see how it fits with something else. As a client, I just did a coaching session with today. It was a little laser session because she had problems with a, with, with one of her clients. And, you know, the client was expecting a reply on the weekends and late at night and like that. Now we could have just handled this, but my question is, where else in your life are you not setting appropriate boundaries? Who else in your life could use some training in how to be with you and how to support you? Maybe it's a kids, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's the ex-husband, maybe it's uh, some staff, maybe it's you yourself, you know, maybe you're not respecting your own boundaries. So we get to look at the bigger picture and she can make sense of it in terms of her whole life. And now she's interested in how to train this client to be with her and communicate because now she can then take that and apply it everywhere else Mm -hmm. in her life. I just set a boundary yesterday with a new tenant that I have, and we're sharing a kitchen here. And he, he kind of came up the stairs and snuck up behind me. And I said, firstly, welcome. Secondly, can we talk about this? I realize I, I have a, uh, an order of preference of, of how to communicate. And I'd like to share with you what that is. He's like, oh, yeah, tell me. Number one, text. Number two, if it's more urgent than that and you haven't heard back from me, call me. Number three, if it really can't wait and you haven't heard back from me, yell out, hey, David, coming up the stairs. And my fourth and least favorite would be coming up behind me very quietly. Right now, He's like, okay, great. Now he knows the, you know, the order of preference and the hierarchy. And then, you know, the last bucket that I look at is leverage because there's, I could help you make a lot of money, but if you don't have the time off, to enjoy it, then what's the point? So the last bucket is leverage. So we look at what is your genius zone? What do you love to do? And that perhaps no one else can do as well as you. And then let's get a list. And this is the not to do list. We have two lists, the not to do list. This is what I agree not to do now. I will not check Facebook between before four o'clock. I will not check email messages until I've done my two most important things. Whatever. You have a list now and then you have a dream not to do list. This is what you want to be on your not to do list. You're not ready yet because you still have to handle a lot, but it might be your accounting, might be your taxes, your bookkeeping. It could be hiring. It could be, um, I just... I just asked my personal assistant today, are you interested and open to expanding your uh, responsibilities? I'm thinking I need to set up these utility accounts for the house and I'm not used to having to do that. And I'd like, I could put you as the primary contact and then you could handle the paying the bills and then make sure that the tenant pays, pays his portion. How about that? She's like, yeah, you got it. That's fine. You know, I'll just charge you hourly. Boom. So we want to have a dream not to do list. I, I, it looks like I might've handled that in about six minutes, right? That could have been a whole lot of stuff that would have been on my plate. I'm like, no, let's from the get-go not do that. 
And then you need to hire the right staff to handle those things that you're no longer going to do. And a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs are challenged by that. Like, how do I get good people? How do I have them motivated and excited and wanting this job so that I'm the one auditioning them? And then the last piece in that bucket is how do I motivate my team and hold them accountable? even to the point where they're self-managing and they keep generating ideas and sending them to me. And they, they say, Hey, David, um, I said, I'd complete this by this date. It's going to be two days late. Is that okay with you? Otherwise I'll shuffle some things around. Like you get it to the point where they are self-managing and you don't have to chase it all. So long answer. Those are the three big buckets, money, productivity, and then still related to productivity, but it's really about leveraging your time. It's not, it's not unreasonable to expect to achieve twice as much of what matters in half the time you're currently spending. And, and I love that. And I'll share one of the things, one of the tips I got for you that I've been implementing ever since I heard it. But before that, I want you to talk about what are the things that you've seen get in the way of people doing what you just described? What's keeping them from being as productive as they could be or getting more done in half the time? What are the key things that you see are problematic? Well, the human mind, in my experience, is like a monkey on crack. It's just constantly over here and over there and, oh, that's shiny, you know. Oh, look, monkey treat. That's, that's what the human mind does. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just sit down, close your eyes and count your breaths up until a hundred and see how far you get before the mind is just off doing its own thing. So that's one thing. And then on top of that, we've got our society and the information age right now. And, you know, my phone wants to pull my attention with, 20 different apps. I got WhatsApp. I got Voxer. I got Marco Polo. I got Messenger. I just you Snapchat, Facebook goes on and on and on. Then there's the computer. And then um, all of the, and then you've got family, you got the kids and the partner and the, it's so much. So the real question is how does anybody actually get focused work done and if you're already making plenty of money and you've got plenty of time off, then I, you know, I recommend you don't listen to anything I say because it's really not that relevant to you. But if you want more money and you want more time off and you also want to show up more fully in life so you have zero regrets, then I think it makes sense to try and counter the monkey mind. And we, we can give away a checklist at the end of this of this. Um, episode where I have a just go through. I, I boom, 12 month goals, check. Three month goals, check. Mm-hmm. Book sprints in my calendar, check. So, monkey mind plus the information overload that we have. Here's another thing fear of missing out. I think if I just focus on this one thing for the next week or month or year and go really deep, what about all the other marketing methods I could be trying? What about all the other people I could be calling? I should be trying this and trying that and doing this. And what? And the fourth thing is I think we like entertainment. We want to be entertained. And it's quite entertaining to jump from thing to thing and feel busy. And oh, I got an interview with Meredith and then got my assistant downstairs. And then, oh, the, the plumber's coming to do that. And then, oh, there's a little text message. I'm going to, hit the, I'm going to get a dopamine hit from responding on this text message. And then I'll get back on that email. That'll be something off my plate. So we think we're being more productive, but what we're really doing is producing dopamine and adrenaline and stressing ourselves out and actually being busy instead of productive. Mm-hmm. There are actually two things that I've implemented and I would love to have you talk about both of them. One is the sprint you just referred to that where you work for 25 minutes and then you take five minutes off and you do that four times. What I have found I've had to catch myself on is that five minutes 
do I really take that five minutes or am I using it to check email or do something? So I'm having what I've been doing that works better is just push myself away, get up from my desk and do something physical, you know, whether it's some stretches or something where I'm not thinking about the work. Talk about why you recommend that kind of a structure to your time instead of say one hour blocks or two hours. Yeah. Blocks. Yeah. I'm a big fan of what's known as the Pomodoro method, which is 25 minutes and then a five minute break pretty much. And you do maybe four of those and then you might take a 15 minute break after that. Now it might seem counterintuitive. You think, well, I want to be productive and I've got a lot of work to do and I don't need that break. I don't need it, Meredith. Why, why don't I just keep, just power through and I'll do an hour and a half. And then when I really need to move, I will. Well, ironically, my belief is that when we force ourselves to step away and take a break, we don't want to take, it's like teasing us. We're teasing ourselves and we're keeping the hunger high. So if I keep going for an hour and a half or two hours or four hours, I've done that before because the mind says, keep going, keep going, keep going. At the end of it, I'm burned out. I don't want to do any more work for the day. I just want to go off and play video games. And tomorrow I might be less likely to want to go back and, and face that task because part of me remembers that it was so hard. So if we force ourselves to go at 25 minutes and when it goes off and I'm like, are you kidding me? 25 minutes? Come on. I just got started. I don't want to stop. But if I make myself get up, all right, now I'm moving the body. The body's happy about that. And I can't wait to get back. I, I'm, I'm hungry. I get back. Okay, good. Next 25 minutes sprint. And it keeps me hungry and happy about doing that. The other part of the, of the break is when you know you've only got 25 minutes. When you, you start training yourself that you only have 25 minutes, you don't have an hour, you don't have an hour and a half, then you're going to have to get up and, and walk away from the computer. There's more of an urgency to me. And I'm like, okay, game on. I got to get this done. Otherwise I'm going to be incomplete at the 25 minute mark. And I'm going to take a break with it incomplete. I don't want that. And then I'm going to be late on my next Pomodoro and my next Pomodoro. So it really creates a sense of artificial urgency. It's a game. We're gamifying work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have found that too. Just that level of kind of, it's a good kind of pressure that I put on myself. Oh, it's how much time do I have left? How much more can I get done here in this space of time? The other thing that I've done, and you'll be very proud of me when you hear this, is I've done my CEO date every Friday. And that has um, just made such a difference. And this was something... I, I don't remember which time you had talked about it, but it's this idea that every week looking back at your wins and what you're going to focus on for the next week. So talk a little bit about why you think that's so important. Well, again, if, if you've got plenty of money and time off, then it's not important. But when you want, when you have goals and you want to get to those goals, let's use the metaphor of a ship on the ocean. You can just enjoy the sunshine and let the wind blow you wherever it wants to blow you and go on the current. That's a wonderful thing to do. But if you want to get to Madagascar, if you want to get to um, Sydney Harbour, if you have things that you want, we've got to set the rudder. We've got to set the sail. We've got to plot a course. So we're at least heading in the direction. So it's, you know, it seems funny to me to, to break it down like that, but it's kind of, I've gone for years without setting clear goals. And that's a fun way to operate. You just wake up in the morning, navigate by curiosity or do what feels right. Do what calls to you. That's a great way to do it. Some people work well with that. The other system, which it seems like you're discovering can be really fun as well and very deliberate and intentional is you set a 12 month goal. You set the three month version, you set the seven day version. Now, if you did that all today, you pause the recording 
and you go and you set your 12 month goals, just three, three big ones. And then you do the same for three months, you do the same for seven days. You're going to be set for seven days. But after seven days, you're going to be lost again. You'll be rudderless. So that's why the CEO date is just a simply weekly ritual where you step out of worker mode, you step out of flow mode, you step out of reactionary mode, and you put on your CEO hat and you exercise the executive function of the brain. And this is where the discipline comes in. I want to do these 20 things, but if I look at my three-month targets, this is really what, what needs to happen this week. So this is what I will do first. The other things go in a drawer, I'll pull them out. If I get the other things done as a reward, I get to do this bonus stuff. The other point of the CEO date is we accomplish about 10, more, 10 times more things than we track or remember. Now, okay, if I, if I look over this last week, what immediately comes to mind is I've accomplished moving partially into a new home. All right, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, three clients have, have just signed on and working with three new wonderful people. That's immediately, but it'd take another five minutes of, of deliberate attention to look at what else did I do? And the whole point of this is so that we can literally, actually, I'm taking my hand right now, patting my own back, literally pat my back. And sometimes I'll, I'll say out loud, David, you're a champion. David, you're a legend. And that's to counteract all the negative self-talk. Oh, you didn't do enough. Didn't do the blah, blah. Let's counteract that. With a CEO date, this is what I did. Oh, I accomplished that. I, oh, look at these post-it notes that I moved to the win column. I'd forgotten about this, 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 and uh, found a new subtenant moved in downstairs. Oh, that too, so I can feel good about myself. Then we pick our seven-day targets for the next seven days. And uh, all of that can be done in the space of 20 minutes, even 10 all right, five minutes of congratulations and then five minutes of this is what I choose matters up on the wall. Now I know what I'm doing for the next seven days. One of the things I love most about it, besides looking at, you know, the things that I did do that I'm giving myself credit for. So it really does serve to um, keep the juices flowing with the excitement of, you know, my big goal. Uh, but also it simplifies and narrows down because I think we can get bogged down in these long to-do lists. And then it's like, whoa, that's so much. How am I going to get that done? But if you really do look at those narrow three or whatever the number is for you, that if you get those done, that's really big. I think yeah. that helps us keep things in perspective. Yeah. It's so easy to get lost in the, in the monkey mind how wonderful to have targets and say, all right, this, this, this. And this is where the word focus came from for me because I realized, oh, now we're going to get deep. We're going to get, I'm going to get very deep here. I've been doing a program here in Boulder where it's an exper experimental therapy program. We do therapy, but they load you up with anesthetic first. So and it's, and it's a psychedelic anesthetic as well. And so it's very strange. And uh, the therapist is there to guide you through it and, and whatever. Anyway, it was an amazing experience. One thing I got from it was I kind of got that there are infinite things in the universe, even just on our planet, to put our attention on. Infinite. Even with the microphone, you can. I've got a microphone in front of me. I can look at it from a long way away. I can look at it from all these different angles. I can go and look at a piece of it. Even just this microphone, there's, there's infinite ways to view it. And so I got there are infinite things in the world and then there are infinite ways to relate to them. And you multiply infinity by infinity and you get infinity. So I'm, I said to the therapist at the end of one of the sessions, well, at least we've narrowed it down to infinity. <laughs> Um, but given that, focus is what gives us our world, what we choose. I'm focusing right now on you. 
and your face and, and talking to you. But I could look past it out the window. I could look at the mural. I could look at my tea, the water. There's so much. So we can either just surrender and go with it and just see whatever our mind wants to do, or we can be deliberate and intentional. This is my focus for the next 12 months. This is what I do not focus on. This is my focus for the next three months. This is my focus for the next seven days. This is my focus for tomorrow. This is my focus for the next 25 minutes. This is what I choose to put my focus on. This is my lens. And that gives me my world for 25 minutes, a day, a week, a month, a quarter, and a year. And it's all about the game of being intentional and manifesting things in time and space. Exactly. And, and I think that that's the challenge for us, because if we think big, then it makes it challenging sometimes to go small and go narrow on that one thing and stick with it. So I think, you know, for my listeners, if they just start scheduling that 25 minute block and take the five minute break and do that four times that in itself is very powerful. That CEO date is also really important as far as helping you keep a balanced look at what you really have done. Because you're right. I think it's so easy for us to criticize ourselves. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't do this. And to have that reminder, but, but I did do this, this, and this for that balanced yes. perspective. Yeah. And what I would call this conversation that we're having now is it's all about if you want to be cause in your own life, if you want to be the author of your own actions, that's the game we're playing. Taking charge. Well, you know, speaking of that, this is a, to me a good segue to another area I really wanted to talk to you about because you at one time had a podcast called Tough Conversations. Still and, do. And, and it, okay, so... That to me is huge. I loved that. And I highly recommend my listeners go find it because one of the key elements of that is exercising more courage and, you know, not, not uh, denying fear, but dealing with fear in a way that you don't let it hold you back. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you've learned, what you help clients with when it comes to having these tough conversations and kind of drawing from the courage that's there and actually using it. One of my favorite topics. I, I think this all stemmed from when I was a kid and I regret most when I didn't, when I wasn't courageous. That's what I regret. I regret uh, backing down so many times to bullies I wish I just punched a bully on the nose and taken a beating. Um, I regret the women I didn't ask out, the girls at, at school. I regret not following courage. So later in life, I found myself leaning into my fears. If I'm afraid of cold showers, for example, I'll go and do it to see how I can train my brain to open to that. If I'm afraid of a conversation, I'm getting better at catching the fear and going, oh, you don't want to talk to the previous landlord about this because you're worried you're going to lose your deposit, your security deposit, or you're worried that you can't set your own boundaries safely and it's going to be a really awkward conversation. Ah, okay. And then see if there's a way to have that conversation because each time I follow my courage, whether it's confessing to a crime or that I broke an agreement with someone or did something that I'm embarrassed about or stepping off a mountain in Nepal with a paraglider attached to my back. Whenever I do that, I usually feel better about myself. And I've found that's true with my clients as well. They're not usually proud of those things they backed away from, but they're proud when they went and did something that was edgy. You could be speaking to a group of people. Uh, could be, I went on national television once in a kilt um, to play, play 500 miles by the Proclaimers on a gong show in Australia. Terrifying. But each time I do something like that, the boundaries of my world get pushed back. 
And so I want that for everybody. I want that for our listeners. I want that for my clients. I want it for me. I want it for you. I want that when that time comes that we lay on our deathbed and we review our life, we can say, I gave it everything. I really did. I didn't hold back. Now, I'm not saying go beyond your edge. I'm not, you know, it's suppose you, you did commit a crime and you're not willing to risk prison, then okay, that might be something you choose not to do. If you did break an agreement with your partner and you think divorce might be the result of it, I, I still often think nine times out of 10, it's worth taking the risk for intimacy and for peace. And if you lose a relationship, you lose a relationship. But if you choose, no, I'm not willing to risk that, then okay, you don't do it. There's actually a, a form on my website at focus.ceo called the CARE model, C-A-R-E, for tough conversations. And there's a little checklist there that you go through. And one of the boxes is, I'm willing to accept the consequences or the possible consequences of this conversation. Now, if you're not, then you're not going to have the conversation. That's simple. But if you say, yes, okay, this person might get angry at me. This person might, this might cost me some money. This might blah, 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 blah. I am willing. Well, that's transformative in and of itself. Now you're not running away from it anymore. Byron Katie has a turnaround. She says, you write down, I never want to experience X again. And then at the end of it, you have to turn it around to, I look forward to experiencing X again. I look forward at the owner getting angry with me because there's some damage to the house so that I can grow and so that I can be more caring. Yeah, and what, I, I, yeah, that, and I'm a big fan of Byron Katie. And so what is it that happens when you do turn it around like that and you take the opposite of what well, you originally thought and felt? For me, something happens internally that instead of this subconscious fear, I just don't want that something bad's going to happen. I really look at it. And when you're welcoming something, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. It's like, hey, I can see the positives of that. I welcome, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something I might not like. I welcome losing all my clients and having them all stop on the same day uh, so, that I, so that I could go and have a vacation, for example. And once that happens, it's so less scary anymore. It's like I once was afraid of being, for a long time, I was afraid of being homeless. And I had money. I was just afraid of being homeless. And then I really went into it and I looked at how could I make that work? What would be good about it? And I came up with some really creative stuff. Like, you know, I've got thousands of people have been following me for, uh, for some time on my email. If I said, hey, I'm available for a six-month live-in coaching immersion experience, who's game? right? Like that could be really awesome. I could get a tent on someone's property with a gorgeous view and just give them something nominal as long as I have internet and electricity. For my laptop, I'm fine. And a spot for my puppy. I, you know, I realized all these things and I was able to turn it around to not quite I look forward to, but I could really rock that out. I could make that work. Stop being afraid of it. Because if it happens, I now know I can handle it. Mm -hmm. I think of the amount of energy that gets wasted cumulatively with people worrying about potential bad things that never end up happening. Yeah, it's so true. And what my, my approach, my MO about these things is to tackle them head on. I, I can't stand anything hanging over my head, going to bite me on the, on the, on the uh, on the butt, I don't like that. I I some things I'll put off, but other, mostly I'm like, let's handle it. Let's handle it. I don't want to be worried about this thing, so I'm going to have a conversation about it. And then usually, usually that resolves it, and so now I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. But sometimes sometimes it doesn't, and you might need another conversation. Sometimes you'll make it worse. But if you follow the checklist and the care model. Um, your chances are very good uh, 
that you're going to have a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And I know we're running out of time, but I do want to uh, reinforce for my listeners to go check out your podcast because I clearly remember one of the episodes where you were basically coaching this person real time on a situation she was dealing with where someone was not listening to her and you um, pretended to be her and she was the other person. So you role played with her, how you went through those steps. And it was quite powerful and I thought extremely effective. So thank you. you. Yeah. That's one thing for me to tell you the steps. It's another thing for me to show you the steps and particularly for that woman, she's able to be the person she's worried about talking to and she can say all the things she's worried they're going to say. Yeah. Like you, you're fired or, you know, whatever it is, she can bring all those things up and see how someone else deals with it. And what, what you'll get listeners when you listen to it, one is you'll get the content. Yeah. Okay. This is, these are the words that someone else might use, but the other thing that you get is the how which is separately from the what. So the how is how I'm showing up, how I'm saying it, how I'm being um, considerate and caring in the conversation. It's the energetics of it as well that I think are almost more important than what is said. And so I love those role plays and I, I miss them. Yes. Well, you know, as I was just listening to you say that, a key element to me is just that presence and the curiosity. And when you are role-playing, because this actually happened to me the other day on a, on a podcast interview where I was the guest and the host was, was dealing with a couple of situations with employees and she wanted to know, okay, what would you say? <laughs> and it's so much easier to do that when you're not the one emotionally involved with yes. the situation. So to me, a part of the overall strategy approach is doing what you can to eliminate or, or uh, dissolve that emotional, the feelings that you have wrapped up in your past history with this person that's yes. causing you to feel the anxiety in the first place. Exactly. I, I have cl- the clarity of distance because I'm not in it. And I don't have all the assumptions and the baggage that goes along with it. So, for example, I was coaching someone yesterday who was very upset because her mother had said, this topic is not open for discussion. And if that's not okay with you, then don't get on the plane to come and visit. Now, I firstly, I, I had some compassion. And so I was like, how is that for you? And that's the holding space. Like, how is that for you? Yeah, I could see how that really hurt to have a parent say, don't get on the plane. If there's like it's really abrupt. And then I said, I think I could see a way out of this. Are you interested? And, uh, and she said, yeah. And I said, well, what if you practiced literal listening and just listen to the words, literally, this topic is not up for discussion. If that's not okay with you, don't get on the plane. We just take the energy out of it. And, and I think she was, she still had a lot of the wounding, but I think she was able to see it a bit more clearly that her mother was actually practicing advanced boundary setting. Mother said, I, I said, here's how we could reinterpret it. I can't handle this. This is freaking me out so much. I cannot go near it. So please don't come if you're going to make me face those feelings. And she was like, oh. Now, it'd be nicer if the mother said it differently, right? Here's the ideal language. But when people are learning boundaries, they start with a sledgehammer. Your mother didn't have the surplus. So she's got to start to see it from a different perspective. And then we started getting towards solutions. Okay, what could you ask for? What is it you want? Okay, you want to feel safe and loved. So... What could you ask for that would have you feel that? And we we started getting into that. But anyway, you got me excited by this whole um, concept of taking the emotional charge and our preconceptions out of it. And someone else can often help us do that. Say, Mm -hmm. I love it when a friend says to me, actually, that doesn't sound unreasonable at all. I love it. I, I just had someone coach me on 
something about the lease I was signing and said, I am absolutely happy with that language. In fact, I love that language. That's the perfect language they should use. I was like, okay, I let it go. I said, okay, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. This is another perspective. Yeah. And I said, you know, you, I said, why are you still upset? I can understand initially, oh, you know, it doesn't love me. But now you've started talking about it and she's revealed what's happening. So what's going on that you're still holding on to? And we got to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, there's always layers below or around certain things that, that really trigger us. And I think that's a key thing that with your coaching, you help people identify you know, you may not call it a trigger, but you're listening for that, that something is causing them to have a certain reaction and you help them really choose a different path that leads yeah. to greater peace, happiness, and overall greater relationships. And of course, you know, kind of in wrapping up, David, the key thing that you love helping your clients do, whether you're helping them on the financial side, the time side, is really becoming a more fully expressed human being. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? What are your core desires? What are the things you're putting up with that you no longer want to put up with? I didn't know before I did landmark education what self-expression was. I, I, I had all these barriers that I didn't know about. They just kind of accumulate on you over time. And then you think you, you, you're living and express life. Not that I thought that because I didn't know what that was and I didn't know that I didn't have it, but you think, oh, I'm just living life. You don't even know that you hold back in this area. Or um, I discovered that playing guitar in front of groups was something I wanted to do, but I, my mind had just squashed it down. Like, no, you're not a good singer. You're not going to do that. As I discovered self-expression, oh, I am attracted to you. I want to share that. Would you like to spend time together? Oh, I'd, I'd love to coach you. I think you've been an amazing client. We could do great things together. Oh, I want to, I want to host a gathering, a party now that we're coming out of the other side of the pandemic once a month. Like all of these things are self-expression that to people who've done a lot of work might look like second nature, but they're not. It took work to get there. We want to get back to how we were at five years old. Mm -hmm. That's one way to put it. At five years old, oh, why, why is your nose so big? Okay, we might be a little more artful with it, but they're expressed. And then as we get older, we get clenched. And I'm so passionate now that I discovered what self-expression feels like, at least to the level I know now. There's probably a bunch of things I'm still not fully expressed in. And as I discover them, I'll be like, oh, wow, that's the next level. I love helping people find that for themselves. Oh, I want this. I want that. Well, David, thank you so much for everything you're doing to help other people in so many areas of their lives. And um, I would love for you to share what, uh, how can people connect with you and what do you have for them where they could learn more about you or get, get access to some of this great knowledge that you have? Thank you. Well, I, I do um, focus, as you said, on business owners. So if you have a business and you'd like to double revenue and your time off and something resonated with you in this episode, then I invite you to check out my eight-week program called Semurai. And it's an eight-week training program where we set you up to bump your revenue 20% over the eight weeks and set you up to bump revenue by 100% over the year. And you can, I've got a gift basket of goodies for listeners. You can go and check out that program. You can also request a 15-minute call with me to see what you'd actually need to do to double revenue. Uh, and you can get the checklist for doubling your productivity. All three of those things are at myfocusgift.com because I wanted to give you the gift of focus. So I figured what better URL than myfocusgift.com. It'll take you to a hidden page on my website um, that you can't normally access and there'll be enter your email address and then it'll send you all the goodies. And if you want to be on my mailing list, I send a couple of videos every week 
uh, you can just stay on that list or you can unsubscribe from that, whatever you like. That's great. And David, I will say as a testimony, I have been through those materials in your free gifts and they're excellent. Just some, I took just so many notes uh, from the things that you covered. So David is all about giving value. And so trust me, we'll have that on the show notes page, uh, along with the link to your podcast. So others can, can find that and enjoy those various episodes that you've created. David Wood, thank you for being who you are in the world and being my guest today. I'm grateful. My pleasure. Good to see you, Meredith. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.